All right, how's everybody doing tonight? Hey, welcome to Metro on this beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Hey, there are some people that just do some great things, aren't there? And not the least of which are our men and women in uniform. Don't you appreciate what our men and women in uniform, those that have served in the past, those that are currently serving, they, they lay their lives on the line to protect us and serve us. And we are so grateful and thankful for them. And we want to pray for them, that God would give them strength and courage to, just to continue to do what needs to be done to keep this world safe. This is a pretty scary world to live in sometimes. Uh, there's a lot of craziness that goes on in our world, and I am so thankful for our soldiers. And so, you know what this is, don't you? This is a little army guy, in case you can't see it. I used to play with these when I was a kid. But we've got a, a whole bunch of these, and we want you to take one as you leave today. Because what we want you to do with this, we want you to use it as a reminder to pray for our men and women in uniform, to pray for our soldiers, that God would just be with them to help them do what needs to be done. You good with that? You're going to grab one of these on the way out? Now, hey, by the way, grab some of these for your kids. This is a great time to teach our, our kids even how important it is to pray for those that serve our country. Uh, in fact, the scriptures tell us to do this, to pray for those that serve us and our leaders. Uh, and so that's what we want to do. So grab one of these on the way out. I think that would be a cool thing. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Great... And uh, what I want to do is I just want to start off by telling you uh, about some people that have been great in my own life. Now, I don't know if you know what this is, but this is what we used to call a gospel tract. Anybody ever heard of these? Uh, people used to give these out all the time. They're not so common anymore. Uh, but people used to give these out in, as a way of sharing the message of Jesus with people that they came in contact with. Now, you know, some of these were pretty ridiculous. This one is called Steps to Peace with God. Uh, this is a pretty good one, but... Uh, I think that there are some of these that were pretty ridiculous. I don't know if you've ever seen the one that looks like a $10 bill. Have you ever seen this one? It, it looks like a $10 bill, and you fold it in half, and people used to leave this as a tip at a restaurant. Now, here's what, it, what, what the problem with that is, is it looks like a $10 bill, and you leave it on the table, and so somebody's excited, and they pick it up, and they think it's a $10 bill, but when they open it up, what it says is, disappointed? <laughs> and of course you'd be disappointed, right? Uh, it's not a real $10 bill. It says, disappointed? Well, you wouldn't be if you would make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And then it would share a few Bible verses and tell you how to become a Christian. Now, anybody in the room ever a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant? Maybe you're currently a waiter or a waitress. Anybody? What, now, how would you feel if somebody gave you one of these as your tip? That was your tip. Would you feel loved? Would you feel drawn to Jesus through that? Probably not, I'm thinking. So just like anything else in life, there's a right way and a wrong way to use just about everything. But, but I'm telling you that this one right here is one of my prized possessions in the whole world. Uh, I've had this for 32 years. Uh, I got this when I was 13 years old when I was trick-or-treating. I was on Grange Road in Trenton, just going to all these houses and trick-or-treating. I grew up in Trenton. And there was this house that had the best and biggest candy bars on the whole block. Everybody wanted to go to this house. So they gave you these candy bars. But along with the candy bar, they put this in my Halloween bag. Steps to Peace with God by Billy Graham. Uh, when I got home that night, and I'm eating through my candy, and I'm eating that big old candy bar that they gave me, I opened this thing up, and I started reading it. And I read, read through it over and over again, countless times from front to back. This was the first exposure I ever had in my life to just a clear explanation of what Jesus did for me and how I can receive it. I, it is not even possible to overstate the importance of what those people did for me by putting this in my Halloween bag it sparked something inside of me. It started a process in my life. 
It created a hunger for God and for Jesus and for the Bible that, that really sprouted two years later when I finally gave my heart to Jesus and became one of his followers. And I'm telling you, I can't wait to meet these people who started everything by just planting a seed in my life. I'm gonna meet them one day. I don't know their names, I don't know who they are, I never saw them again. But I'm telling you, there is bigger reason as anybody why I'm standing on this stage today as one of the pastors of this church. God used them in an incredible way in my life because they just took a risk and they said, hey, I'm gonna do what I can. I'm just gonna plant a seed in a young man's life. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna thank them for it. And they have no clue what kind of impact they've had on one young man's life. In my book, listen, those people were great. These were great people, in my opinion. And, and we are in the middle of this series called Great. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Jack, you know, they, over the past two weeks, they've talked a little bit about this idea of greatness and what the Bible considers great. And they've introduced us to this thing called the Great Commandment. Now, when I finally got to the point where I put my faith in Jesus and decided to follow him, I, it's funny, I can even show you if you came up to me afterward, I have it written down, the date and the time when I put my faith in Jesus, March 7th, 1987 at 9.30 p.m. Uh, is when I prayed the prayer that was on this little sheet and really gave my heart to Christ. Um, but I can tell you, when that happened in my life and I decided to become a follower of Jesus, I became what the scriptures call a disciple. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But Pastor Jack and Pastor Jeremy introduced us to this idea of, of greatness. And they talked about the great commandment. And here's what they shared with us from Matthew chapter 22. It says, this is Jesus' answer to what is the greatest commandment in the whole Bible. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so when I decided to become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, I became a person who made it the goal of my life to learn how to obey these commandments, to love God and to love others, the greatest commandments in the whole Bible. And I not only signed up to learn how to, to obey these commandments myself, but I signed up to learn how to lead other people to obey these commandments. Now, there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that, but the Bible's a big book. But some of the, the passages in the Bible have risen to just this level of greatness. Like, people have looked at these passages, and they've said, these passages, they just stand above. Like, all of it's God's word, but some of these passages are so big, so sweeping, so important, that we've given them names all on their own. The great commandment, right, that we just read well, there's another one of these found in the book of Matthew. It's called the Great Commission, and this is what we're going to look at today. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. So if you have a smartphone or a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be camping out in Matthew chapter 28, talking about the Great Commission. Now, when we, when we get to Matthew 28, where we're at in the story is that Jesus has already died. He was already buried. He's already risen from the dead, and he's now appearing to his disciples, giving them some instructions. So this is a dead man back to life appearing to his disciples. And we pick up the story in chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Now, this is one of the many reasons why I trust the Bible as a history book. The, the Bible is so honest. 
shockingly obvious, uh, honest at times about people's reactions and their failings and their weaknesses and their doubts. I mean, even some of the heroes in the Bible, it doesn't have any problem telling you all of the, the issues, the problems, and the doubts that these people struggled with. Now, you know, there are only two possible reactions when you see a dead man walking again, right? You either worship him or you doubt, <laughs> right? There really aren't any other options when you see a dead man walking. And, and this is what, when, when people saw Jesus, even his closest followers, these were their two reactions. Some worshiped him and some doubted. And Matthew just leaves it at that. And this is still the way it is today, right? In this room right now, there are two kinds of people. There are people who you worship Jesus, and then there are people in this room that you doubt. You're just not sure. You're exploring this whole thing, but you're just not sure. And so Jesus has always, his mission has always been, Jesus is not afraid of people's doubts. He's not afraid of people's questions. People loves, Jesus loves doubters and skeptics, and has a goal for them. He wants to move them from doubt to belief to being a fully devoted follower. Jesus has never had a problem with people's doubts. A skeptic is one of Jesus' friends. Now, a cynic is a whole different story. You know the difference between a skeptic and a cynic. A skeptic is one who's searching, one who's open, one who's seeking. They got legitimate doubts. A cynic is one who's just closed off, and it doesn't matter what you say. You could show up to them, risen from the dead, right in front of them, they wouldn't believe. And there are people like that as well. But, but Jesus loved doubters, and he had this goal to move them. And so if you're here today, and you're one of those, you're a doubter, you're a skeptic, you're searching, Jesus loves you and wants to help you overcome your doubts and become one of his fully devoted followers. But what comes next is a description of Jesus' mission for his followers, those that have decided to put their faith in him. Here is the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if I were to try to summarize the Great Commission, and I, I do this, I try to take things and boil them down and try to figure out what they're really saying. If I were to summarize the Great Commission into one sentence, here's the way I'd put it. The Great Commission is to grow, group, and go, the three Gs. This is a big deal around Metro these days. This is the way we describe our model of ministry as a church, the three Gs of grow, group, and go. The Great Commission is to grow, group, and go with the greatest of all. Jesus is calling us to follow him. This is an invitation. Jesus says, come join me in what I'm doing. Sign up for the most important mission in the whole world. Jesus says, come and grow in your relationship with God with me. Group together, he says, with the family of the Trinity. And go, put your faith into practice and make a difference in this world, in the lives of other people. He calls us to make his mission, what he's doing, what his goal is. He calls us to make this the most important priority in our lives. And the reason he gives is this, verse 18. Here's the reason, the way he grounds this. He says, you should do this, and here's why. He says, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. You'll never really follow Jesus. 
You'll never really be his disciple. You'll never really join him in what he wants to do. His mission will never become the priority in your life that it needs to be until you come to grips with this idea that Jesus is the greatest of all. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. You have to get to the point where you believe that Jesus is greater than any singer or entertainer. Look, there are a lot of, there's a lot of competition out there in the world for your time, your energy, your attention, right? For your, your talents and your resources. How are you going to spend your life? How are you going to spend your time? How are you going to spend your money? What are you going to do with your life? What's your mission in this world? There is a lot of competition out there trying to vie for your attention. You'll never follow Jesus into what he's doing unless you believe he's greater than any singer or entertainer, greater than any actor or actress, greater than any athlete, greater than any business owner or inventor, greater than any artist or author, greater than any politician or president, greater than any other prophet or teacher or so-called God, greater than any guru, greater than Buddha, greater than Moses, greater than Muhammad. Listen, Jesus claims to be the greatest of all. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, join me in what I'm doing. This is Jesus' calling for us. Jesus says, I'm greater than Miguel Cabrera. I'm greater than Taylor Swift. I'm greater than Donald Trump. I'm greater than Bill Gates. All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. Now, what do you call a person who claims that they have all authority in heaven and on earth? What do you call that person? Well, you either call them crazy or you call them God. Jesus' claim is that he is the fullness of deity in bodily form. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, the only divine son of God who fully shares his father's nature. And those who believe this worship him and follow him with their lives and spend their lives trying to help other people worship him and follow him with their lives because they believe Jesus is the greatest of all. Listen to what the author of the Hebrews says about him. The book of Hebrews is is an incredible book, one of my favorites in the Bible. It's a book that really bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, tries to convince a Jew that they should put their faith in Jesus. And here's what Hebrews 1, 3 says. It says, the Son, Jesus himself, the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I mean, think about this. You ever seen the pictures of the universe? You know how big and powerful and massive it is? You know how much energy and power exists out there in the expanse of this universe? And and, and the scripture says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And what every single one of us in this room needs to decide is whether or not we believe him. Some worshipped, but some doubted. Which are you? I can tell you which one I am. (laughs) I worship him. I worship Jesus. Jesus, I I agree with doubting Thomas. A lot of people give doubting Thomas a hard time. He started off as a skeptic. Thomas was a doubter at first. He heard that Jesus rose from the dead, but he just wasn't going to believe it until Jesus revealed himself to him personally. 
and overcame his doubts. And doubting Thomas looks at Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. And this is what I say about Jesus. I say about Jesus, Jesus is my Lord and my God. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you some of what I believe about him. Listen, Jesus is my Lord and my God because he is hands down the most influential person who's ever lived. Nobody even comes close. Hands down. Jesus is my Lord and God because he's the only person who was ever born of a virgin. He's my Lord and God because he's the only person to ever live a sinless life. He's my Lord and God because the voice of his father was heard from heaven at his baptism saying, this is my son whom I love. He's my Lord and God because he gave the greatest moral teaching the world has ever heard and actually lived it out. Jesus is my Lord and God because he's the smartest person who ever lived about the most important subjects. You think about this for a minute. Jesus knew how to feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. You try that. That's pretty smart. Jesus knew how to make a blind man see and make a lame man walk again. He knew how to heal sickness and disease. Jesus knew how to control the weather and calm storms. He knew how to walk on water. He knew how to plan for the future and invest for eternity. He even knew how to make dead people alive again. And he knew how to give people a personal relationship with God, where God becomes their father and they become his children. Listen, Jesus is my Lord and God because he displayed the greatest love the world has ever seen. Because at the sound of his voice, demons fled, including Satan himself. Because he predicted his own death and his own resurrection and then actually pulled it off. Because he gladly and willingly laid down his life to save us, to save me from the wrath of God. <laughs> because he loved his enemies while they were killing him. You try that. Because he defeated death and the grave once and for all, he rose from the dead and ascended bodily into heaven, defeating death and the grave. Jesus is my Lord and God because he has promised to return again one day and make all the wrongs right. He has promised to wipe away, wipe away every tear from every eye and put an end to all sin, suffering, pain, and death. Jesus is my Lord and God because only through faith in him can anyone be forgiven, made right with God, and receive eternal life? So yes, Jesus is my Lord and God. Does anybody in the room agree with me? Listen, Jesus is my Lord and God, but I realize there are some of you in this room, you heard everything I just said, and your reaction to all that is, oh, that's nice. That's, that's nice for you. I don't believe any of that. And I can't believe you believe it. There are people in this room, you hear me say this, you say, I can't believe you believe that. Why and how do you believe that? Let me tell you why. See, you as a doubter, you're a lot like the people who were with Jesus when he died, the people who saw him die. They doubted, they ran, they hid. Even when they heard that Jesus rose from the dead, most of them couldn't believe. But then Jesus appeared to them, revealed himself to them, for 40 days, over 500 people were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. A man was dead, came back to life, and they watched it, and almost all of them were convinced, so convinced, that they were willing to lay down their lives, literally die for this faith that they professed to believe. And we have their eyewitness testimony recorded in the Scripture. And you say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. I can't talk to them. 
eyewitnesses, well, you also have 2,000 years of church history to look back on where literally billions of people would tell you they've had a personal experience with him, that they know him, and that Jesus is alive and well. And I can tell you, Jesus is alive and well, and he wants to get to know you. I have my own story to tell. Listen, I, I, Jesus is my Lord and God because I believe the eyewitness testimony of over 500 people. There's not a courtroom in the country that would deny it. And Jesus is my Lord and God because I believe my own testimony. Jesus changed my life. Jesus is my best friend, and I ain't crazy. I just submit to you, look, if you're a doubter, and I'm not trying to disrespect you if you're a doubter in this room. I'm just trying to tell you that Jesus is alive and well, and he wants to get to know you. Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived about the most important subject. You need him. He's the only one that can solve our problems and save us from ourselves. And for those of us who believe that Jesus is the greatest of all, he has a mission for us. And here it is, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. I want you to notice the scope of this mission for a minute. This is, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your confidence in him, what it means to become a Christian, you put your confidence in Jesus, You've decided to follow him and become his disciple. This is your mission. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We're called to make disciples of all nations because Jesus has all authority. This means that every single person on planet earth, no matter where they were born or what they've been taught, every single person on planet earth must become a follower of Jesus, must become one of his disciples if they want to be accepted by God. But not only must they become one of his disciples, they can. Jesus has all the authority. Jesus can save anybody anywhere. There's no one excluded. Every single person on planet Earth is invited to become a son or daughter of God through confidence in Jesus. All of them, everywhere, all nations, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every language. There's nobody left out. This, this includes all the people of the world that others would look at as hopeless and rejected. There is nobody left out of this invitation. Everyone is invited. One of my favorite authors in the whole world is a guy named Dallas Willard. And he wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy where he gave this list of people who are included in the invitation. I just thought it was such an incredible list. I just wanted to read it to you. Listen to this. Jesus' invitation to become his follower, to become one of the children of God, it includes the fat, the bald, the ugly, and the old. It includes those who smell bad, the deformed, the too big, the too little, and the too loud. It includes the flunkouts, the dropouts, and the burnedouts. The broke and the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the HIV positive and the herpes ridden, the brain damaged and the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or pregnant at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the children with parents dying in the rest home, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead. The moral disasters, murderers and child molesters, the brutal and the bigoted, drug lords and pornographers, war criminals and sadists, terrorists, the perverted and the filthy and the filthy rich, 
the pederast and the perpetrator of incest, the worshiper of Satan, those who rob the aged and the weak, the cheat and the liar and the bloodsucker and the vengeful, and yes, even the humanly wise, the popular, the influential, and the socially elite. To all of these and more, Jesus says, blessed, 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 as they flee into the arms of God through confidence in Jesus. The whole world is invited. You can clap for that. There's nobody left out of this invitation, which means everybody you meet, everyone you come in contact with, everyone at the grocery store, everyone at your school, everyone you work with, the, the, the homeless guy on the side of the road, there's nobody excluded that Jesus says to you, I have all the authority in heaven and earth. Now go, and as you go, make disciples. Put your confidence in Jesus. Follow him. Learn from him. Jesus called everyone he came into contact with, everywhere he went, no matter who they were, to put their confidence in, in him, to follow him, and to learn from him. And he offered, offered them forgiveness and eternal life. This is what the word disciple means. Here's a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who puts their confidence in him, follows him, and learns from him. In other words, disciples are people who go where Jesus goes and learn to do what Jesus does. I can tell you what Jesus is doing. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, go where he goes and do what he does. And, I, and, and what is he doing? He's outreaching this lost world. He's out loving this lost world. He's out calling this lost world to find hope and freedom and forgiveness and life in him. Jesus is out fulfilling his mission. And our mission as disciples is to help people grow into people who put their confidence in Jesus and become disciples who make disciples. So how do you do this? How does this work? Like, what is really the, the, the nuts and bolts of this? Well, it's, it's not really that hard to figure out. I mean, we have Jesus' example, right? Jesus showed us how to do it. And we have 2,000 years of church history to look back on to see how to do it. But, but even more importantly, you, you have the examples of the people who did it for you. If you've come to Jesus, it's because somebody did this for you. They planted a seed. They watered a seed. Somebody Put a steps to peace with God in your Halloween basket. They planted a seed, trusting somebody else would water it and somebody else would shine a light on it. But Jesus did give us some help here. He gave us some real teaching on this of, of how to do it and what it looks like. And he used these images that I think are really cool at this. Uh, two of these images of what Jesus calls us as his disciples. He calls us salt and light. Look at this from Matthew 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So to help people put their confidence in Jesus and become disciples who make disciples, we need to be salt and light. Now, in the ancient world, uh, much like our world today, salt had two primary purposes when it came to food. Salt was a preser preservative or a purifier, right? It, it preserved and purified what it touched. But not only that, when you put salt on something, it just makes it taste better. Almost anything you put salt on just tastes better, right? So Jesus is basically telling his followers this. Here's the command for disciples of Jesus. You ready for this? Be pure and tasty. You didn't think you were going to hear that today, did you? This is our calling. Be pure and tasty. 
Now stay with me here because the point is this. When you and I live out the purity and the holiness and the love of Jesus, it is the most beautiful, the most attractive, and yes, the most tasty thing in the whole world. Listen, the love of Jesus, the character and love of Jesus is irresistible to people. The problem is they just don't see it often enough. Nothing is more beautiful and tasty than the purity and holiness and love of Jesus. And I think probably the best summary of what this looks like, like what is this, this purity and holiness and love that I'm talking about that the world needs to see in us? They need to see Jesus in us. What does it look like? I think the best description of it is probably in Galatians chapter 5, where it describes this thing called the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's what the Spirit of God produces in your life when you put your confidence in Jesus. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And listen, when you encounter a person like this, a person who is filled with the character and love of Jesus, a person who gives and forgives and does good for others, when, when you encounter a person like this, you have encountered the salt of the earth and the light of the world. A person whose life, a person like this, who, who's, who's taken on the, the character of Jesus and is showing it to the world, bearing this fruit to the world, is the person whose life shouts to the world, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and taste. Pure and tasty. Maybe you could put it like this, right? The fruit of the Spirit is what we're called to, to bear. So what we need to do is we need to give them a taste of juicy fruit. There it is. This is what we need to do with our lives. People need to get a taste of juicy fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, which means that being a disciple of Jesus is a lot like this. The fruit of the Spirit, you ready? Now pay attention, you're going to get hurt. You ready? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Oop, there's nobody over there. The fruit of the, Sp <laughs> the, fruit of the Spirit is patience. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. I'm a bad shot with some of these. I got one left. Here you go, right in front. But, but this is what it's like to, to basically give the world a taste of the sweetness of the character and love of Jesus. Juicy fruit. Be salt. Be light. Be pure and tasty. Be juicy fruit. Become like Jesus in his character and his actions. Become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And listen, your goal in all of this, in giving people a taste of the fruit, the juicy fruit of Jesus' character, the goal in all of this is to turn them into juicy fruit. We're supposed to become juicy fruit farmers. So you, you become pure and tasty, you become juicy fruit in order to Turn other people into juicy fruit. Here's what Jesus says. He says this. He says, the farmer sows the word. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So as juicy fruit farmers, now, now look, I realize we're not a, a farming community around here for the most part, but a lot of you are gardeners, and you know how this works, right? A farmer needs basically three things to do his job. He needs seed, he needs water, and he needs light. And Jesus says here that the farmer sows the word. 
Our seed is the message of Jesus, the greatest news the world has ever heard. Listen, this is not a hard sell for people. The message of Jesus is the greatest news the world has ever heard. The farmer sows the word, and those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. So we need to plant seeds. That's what these people did for me. Do this. Every chance you get, everywhere you go, get the message out there. It's the greatest news the world has ever heard. Plant seeds and trust somebody else will water those seeds. Listen, they planted the first seed in my life. There were dozens of people that watered those seeds. I could tell you about some of them. My high school history teacher, what a great man. I love him. Ryan Thorne, our drummer, it's his uncle. My high school history teacher, that guy had such a major impact on my life. He watered the seeds that somebody else planted. And then somebody shined a light. Somebody just did, did good. They just loved me. They shined the light of Jesus. They, they gave to me. They forgave me. They did good to me. So you plant seed. You water seed. You shine a light. And listen, the, the good news of Jesus is just incredible. Now, it does begin with bad news. When, when somebody gave this to me, the first thing I read when I opened the thing is, I have a problem. <laughs> It's bad news. It does start with bad news. People are separated from God, and they need to know that. Listen, all of us know there's a darkness, a blackness in our soul that you do not have to convince them it's there. But somebody needs to bring it up out of hiding and tell them, hey, listen, we're lost. We're sinful. We're separated from God. If you die that way, you're in trouble, but God doesn't want to leave you that way. Listen, you're way over here. God's way over here. But Jesus came and stretched out his arms. And he reached over here, and he reached over here, and he brought us together. Jesus came into the world. He died on a cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for you. So you don't have to pay it yourself. So you could be forgiven, restored, renewed, made alive to have a relationship with God where God is your father and you're his child. And when you put your confidence in Jesus, you're given a new kind of life. It's a kind of like the Bible calls eternal life. It's a dynamic, interactive, personal relationship with God where the Spirit of God literally comes to live inside of you, and He changes you. You don't even have to clean yourself up. I mean, it's the greatest news the world has ever heard, and we need to share it with people. People need to hear this. The seed needs to get planted, but I don't care how many times they've heard it. The plant needs to be watered if it's ever going to grow. And it might take years sometimes. Don't give up on people. Plant seed, water seed, shine a light. Because a farmer, the, the cool thing about farming is, is if you do it right, if you plant and you water and you shine the light, eventually a crop grows. And you'll get a chance. You know what's the greatest moment like, of all? And if you experience it, you know it's true. The greatest moment of all is when you get a chance to harvest someone. When you're there with them at the moment they put their confidence in Jesus. When they are forgiven by God and you watch the, the, the weight get lifted off their shoulders and they find freedom and forgiveness and joy and restoration and peace and you're there and you witness it with your own eyes. Somebody literally who's dead to God becomes alive to him, becomes a new creation and you get to participate in this. Harvesting a lost soul, it's the greatest thing in the whole world. The scripture says that angels in, in heaven even rejoice over this. This is our mission, our calling, our commission is to be involved in this. We need to help people grow to become the kind of people that put their confidence in Jesus and become his disciples. Disciples who make disciples. And the beautiful thing about the harvest is once you bring them in, 
They become part of a community, a family. God's vineyard is what the scriptures call it. Where we're in this together, and they become your brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus says next about his, his commission. Because we not only need to help people grow, but we need to help people group. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to have a baptism celebration here in a couple weeks. And it's going to be awesome. Like, I love baptism. Because what baptism is, it's a celebration of what we're talking about here. What God is doing in people's lives. It's the harvesting of the crop and getting a chance to celebrate it. It's like a harvest party. It's really what it is. And people stand up here and they tell you what God's done in their lives and how he's used a whole bunch of us in our church to do this in them. And they literally are becoming part of a family. Baptism is not so much about the water and the act of baptism. It's way more than that. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. When someone is baptized, Jesus says they're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To, to put it in different words, the word baptism means to immerse someone. When someone comes to Christ, the, the, what baptism is just a symbol of is the reality of a person being immersed into a new family, a new fellowship, a new relationship with God, immersed into the family of the Trinity, into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, where God literally becomes your father, Jesus becomes your brother, the Holy Spirit becomes your constant companion and comforter and guide and teacher, and all of God's people become your mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. You get, you get brought into a family, a community, a fellowship, where we are in this together. And what this group does together, this group that has grown to put their confidence in Jesus. This group that is now grouping as the family of God, what they do together is they go together. They grow, they group, and they go. Here's what Jesus says next. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So once somebody comes into the family, our role in their lives is to teach them to do things, to do everything Jesus commanded. Now, notice we're not supposed to just teach them things. This is not information. This is teaching people to do things. Teach them to obey, to observe, to do everything I've commanded. We've not fulfilled the Great Commission until we teach people to do things. And this is the great omission a lot of times in the Great Commission. Oh, we can make a disciple and we can baptize them. But the next step is often not focused on the way it needs to be. We need to teach each other how to do everything Jesus says. We need to teach people how not to be angry. Teach people how not to lust. Teach people how to stay married. Teach people how to keep promises. Teach people how to turn the other cheek, how to love their enemies, how to be secretly generous, how to pray, how to forgive, how to fast, how to lay up treasures in heaven, how to serve God and not money, how to seek God and not worry. And that's just to list the commands of Jesus that are in two chapters of the Bible. Matthew, it's Matthew 5 and 6. And there's a whole bunch more that we need to learn because, listen, Jesus' commands are prescriptions for life and joy and love and peace. They're how to have the full life. They're how to live out the character of Jesus on earth. They're how to be the salt and light of the world. And this is why we do next step sessions here at Metro. This is why we preach every week. This is why we do everything we do is because this is our commission. This is our calling as followers of Jesus. 
to grow and group and go with the greatest of all. And it might sound impossible to do all this. I mean, you might think, wow, this sounds impossible. Well, maybe so, but here's the promise that we have. Jesus promises this, Matthew 28, 19. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, and surely I am with you always till the end of the age. You're not alone in this. We're not alone in this. Jesus is with us. If you want to be with Jesus, join him in what he's doing. Listen, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who promises to, to meet every need that you have, the one who promises to be there for you and to love you and to work all things together for your good, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth says, I will be with you always if you join me in what I'm doing. Come with me. Let's do this together. Let's go make disciples. Let's immerse them into the family. Let's teach them to observe everything I've commanded you because I have told you these things that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. This is the best, most exhilarating, exciting life possible on the planet because the smartest person who's ever lived about the most important subjects, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, has invited you to join him in what he's doing. I can't hardly think of anything more exciting than that. The Great Commission is to grow, group, and go with the greatest of all. And you're invited, and I'm invited. And if you're not yet in the family, you're invited. Jesus wants to overcome your doubts. He wants to show you that he is the smartest person who ever lived about the most important subjects. He has everything you need. Everything you're searching for is found in him. He is the greatest of all. And we're all invited. Listen, and this is why Metro exists. This is our mission as a church. This is why we want to be a Next Steps church. We want to help people, all people, no matter what stage they're at, to take their next step with God. We want to plant seeds. We want to water seeds. We want to shine light in this world. We want to join Jesus in what he's doing. We want to be salt. We want to be light. We want to be pure and tasty. We want to be juicy fruit that produces juicy fruit. Question is, is that what you want? You're invited. Come join the party. (laughs) You in? Anybody in? Hey, listen, uh, I don't expect that all of you are in, and, and I'd love to talk to you about any of your questions and doubts. I know I've got some friends down here to my left that would love to pray with you, no matter what your needs are, anything that you need. Jesus promises to meet your needs. He will give you whatever you need to do his will. He's calling you to join him in what he's doing, whatever you need to do that. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you. That's a promise to those who join him in what he's doing. The Great Commission. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for loving us, for inviting us into your plan, God. Uh, Lord, help us to, to have confidence in you, to trust you, to follow you, no matter where it leads, no matter what it costs. Help us to get to the place where we do look at you and we see our Lord and our God, the one who's worth giving everything to. God, bring us there. Help us to grow. Lord, help us to group as a family and help one another grow. 
to overcome one another's challenges and doubts and struggles, Lord, to be your community of faith, to be your fruit bearers. And Lord, help us to go and put our faith into practice and make a difference in this world. Help people to see your light through us and to taste your fruit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Have a great weekend, guys. It's going to be beautiful, I think. So have a great weekend.